this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. to me so that all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron when he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it into a graving tool and made them into a golden calf and they said these are your gods or Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt when Aaron saw this he built an altar before it And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for you people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I'm just going to put it there. Welcome to Connection Church. What a cliffhanger, right? God gets mad at the people of God because they have forgotten that God is faithful. And that's tonight's big message. It's called forgotten faithfulness. That's what happens a lot of times when we have a relationship with God, and I I hope that you do, but when we have a relationship with Him, many times we, we find ourselves fearful about things we shouldn't be afraid of because we have forgotten the faithfulness of God. We find ourselves focused on ourselves and and our power because, again, we've forgotten the faithfulness of God. Many times we are waiting for something, and we believe that it's something that God wants for us. It's a good thing. But in our waiting, we get weary and tired of waiting, and we take matters into our own hands. And we start to do things our way because God's way is really not working. And the reason we do that is because we have forgotten the faithfulness of God. A lot of times uh, when waiting isn't working, we choose to do things our own way. But tonight I want us to see that when waiting's not working, it's time for us to worship the Lord. It's not time for us to do things on our own. It's time for us to dive in and dig in even further and say, with a a stubborn mentality that I am not going to forget 
the faithfulness of God. He's given me no reason to doubt him. It's easy for me to look at this passage of Scripture and think, man, those Israelites, how dumb are they, right? I mean, he parted the sea. He did all these things. He made manna from dew on the ground, and, and quail flew in and died so they could get them, and they ate meat at night. He did these miraculous things and spoke, and water came out of rocks, and Moses is gone for just a few days. And they're like, dude, I think God's going to let us down finally. And they do all these things. They forget about what's happening, and they, they took matters into their own hands. And tonight I want us to have like four takeaways, and you can look in your worship folder and find an outline. Uh, for those of you who like filling in blank, blanks, you are in luck tonight because there are a lot of blanks. Don't let that fool you or, or, or scare you. Don't be a fear, a, a feared of that. Don't be afraid of that. Um, uh, we're going to go through them quickly because I want you to do some homework with this sermon. This first point we're about to go through this takeaway, I want you to take it home, and I want you to pray through those things about your own heart and see where you're suffering because you've forgotten the faithfulness of God. You with me? Say yes, pastor. All right. (laughs) I don't know. thought that would be funny. I want you to do that. I want you to take time. So let's just take the first takeaway. Let's get to number one here in the the bulletin on the screen to pop up behind me. Uh, we're going to look at this. Number one, forgotten faithfulness. When we forget God's faithfulness, it leads to misdirected worship. That's the first thing it listens to. Uh, it leads to it. Misdirected worship. Then it leads to people-pleasing. And compromise. Misdirected worship, people-pleasing, compromise, and all of these things are happening and enabling us to play the blame game to play the blame game. Without going into great detail on these, I have to give you a little bit so you can go home and do your homework. I want you to succeed in this. The first thing I want us to see is that the people that Moses had led out of Egypt into the desert, they misdirected their worship. And we see that in what was read for us just a few minutes ago. The people that were following Moses But it turns out, it seems like from what we see here, it said, hey, this Moses, he's been gone for so long. It seems like they were following Moses maybe more than they were following God. Hey, since this Moses hasn't come back, we need to worship something. And we don't know where God is. So we need to craft something. And so there's this misdirected worship. And Moses didn't come back. They turned away quickly to another God. So that's misdirected worship to where, since God's not working out, we'll start to worship something else. The people-pleasing is easy to see in Aaron, Aaron the priest. And what he did was he followed the people and their desire to have this, um, this false God to worship. He followed them. He wanted to please them. And he didn't have the courage to say, no, 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 this is the wrong thing to do. He went along with it. And we see this later on in the same chapter, Exodus 32. If you, if you want to look at what we're looking at mainly tonight, Exodus 32, we're just covering that one chapter uh, tonight, you can look at that in more detail. But uh, look at verse 22. It'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 22, we see people pleasing. Uh, Moses comes down, and, and he sees what's happening, and he's angry, and he goes to Aaron. He's like, dude, bro, what, what's up? Why, why'd you do this? He didn't say it quite in that phrase. But he's like, dude, this is bad stuff. And so Aaron's response is this. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord, and he's speaking reverentially to Moses, not capital Lord, worthy, worship Lord, but like master, 
uh, leader, Lord, okay? So respect term. Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. Moses, you know the people. They are set on evil. You know these people are bad. They do stuff, bad stuff all the time. And they said to me, they said to me, the bad people that I was in, in charge of, they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, oh, oh excuse me, as for this Moses is what the people said, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. We don't know what's happened to Moses. They were worried about you, Moses. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw the gold in the fire, and out came this calf. It was just miraculous. I just threw it in there. The calf came out. So he was people-pleasing. He was like, the people came to him. They said, Aaron, we've got to do this. And he's like, okay, I don't want to be the bad guy. Anybody struggle being the bad guy? Anybody struggle with people-pleasing? I got one. I got two. All right, you're with me. We're leaving. So I don't know where we're going, but anyway. I don't know where I'm going with that comment, actually. But I struggle with this. And so um, forgetting the faithfulness of God leads us to not only misdirected worship, we're worshiping the wrong thing, but we start to not stand up for the truthfulness of God. And we don't stand for the, what God has told us to do because we're worried about offending people. We're worried about people looking at us and losing respect for us or not being pleased with us. So if you struggle with that, maybe it's a sign that you've forgotten the faithfulness of God. Forgotten faithfulness um, and, and people-pleasing uh, causes us to waste the things that God has given us for his good. They, they took that gold, right? And God didn't want that gold to be fashioned into a false god, a, a calf, to be worshipped. And what it does is it causes us to use things that God's given us for his glory and for our good, and we use them in bad ways. People-pleasing. We're going to jump ahead to the blame game because it comes from these same verses too. Uh, Remember, we do misdirected worship, people-pleasing, compromise, all while enabling us, encouraging us to play the blame game, to blame other people, right? A lot of times we do this. You made me so angry. That's why I blew up and why I gave it to you. Really? So now that person is responsible for your outburst of anger. Are they? They may have pushed that button. They may know that that's how they're going to get a reaction from you, but we're the ones responsible for how we react. And see, when sin comes in and we start to follow along with that, we start to look for ways to blame other people. And that's a very dangerous game to play, and that's what Aaron did. He said, the people you gave me. They, they were, he was pleasing them, and he was also blaming them. It was this their fault, Moses. So now let's look at compromise, because we skipped it. So compromises, they knew what they were doing was wrong, but they justified it. They justified it because Moses wasn't there. They, they thought to themselves, they created a narrative that this is the only way that we can move forward because we are stuck without God. We need a God, and since our God has abandoned us, we're going to have to do things ourselves, and we're going to compromise. We're going to create a God. They didn't know everything at this point, but God had given them enough to be obedient, and they certainly knew that this was an act of disobedience. In, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, I'll read it again for us. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, it took a while, it wasn't on their timetable, they were waiting, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so they justified their actions 
because they had told themselves this was their only option. And we do the same thing. We justify our actions when we do things we know we shouldn't do because we tell ourselves that there's no other choice. And I'll just speak as clearly and quickly as I can on that. There is always another choice. The, the other choice is not to compromise. The other choice is to remember the faithfulness of God that while you may not see the way out, God has a miracle that's on its way to you and you're going to keep it from coming into your life if you choose to compromise. There is always another option with God. Nothing is impossible with Him. So those are the things that I want you to take home and you promised me, you gave a verbal contract, was it legal and binding in the state of New York? Actually, I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good. I want you to do homework. You're going to take this home, you're going to pray through these things. Where, where am I misdirected in my worship? Where am I uh, people-pleasing more than God-pleasing? Where am I compromising, doing things I know I shouldn't do because I think there's no choice? And where am I blaming other people? Where, instead of taking ownership in my life, and where uh, I am heading. This number two takeaway I want us to look at. So that's the forgotten faithfulness. Number two is we see Moses comes in and does something wonderful. Moses remembers the faithfulness of God. Where they had forgotten the faithfulness of God, Moses comes back and he remembers the faithfulness of God. And he continues, he intercedes on the behalf of the people. On behalf of the people, he intercedes. And on top of that, he carries out the justice of God. So Moses comes back, he remembers the faithfulness of God. He intercedes for them, and he carries out the justice of God. How does he remember God's faithfulness? So look, look in Exodus thirty-two thirteen. We see him remembering, and it reads this. It says, to the Lord, he's saying, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is uh, the new name for who? Jacob, that's right. So Jacob is Israel. So remember them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, your servants, to whom God you swore by your own self, and you said to them, I will multiply your offspring of the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Moses, in this time of seeing the great sinfulness of the people when he comes off the mountain, remembers the faithfulness of God. He turns to God and says, God, remember, you made a huge promise to your people. And these are those people, as messed up as they are right now. Remember, you made a promise. Now, God didn't forget the promise. You understand that, right? But Moses remembered it. There's a difference. God doesn't, he's not reminding God, hey, God, just in case you forgot. It's, it's, an act of faith for him to remind God, God, remember, remember your promise. And it would bode well for us to remember the promises of God in our lives as well. That God, no, 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 you want good for me. You can take even bad things in my life and turn them for your good. That's your promise. And I love you, and I'm called according to your purpose, and God, that is your promise, and I'm claiming it over my life. He remembers the faithfulness of God. And then he intercedes for them in uh, actually the preceding verses of 11 and 12 of the same chapter. In verse 11 it says, But Moses implored the Lord his God, and he said, O Lord, why does your wrath, your anger, burn hot against your people, whom you, the people you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why? And this is an interesting intercession. He says, why, Lord, should the Egyptians who we've escaped from, why should they say, with evil intent, did God bring them out and kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? He says, God, if you kill them, 
They're going to be talking. They're going to be saying bad stuff. They're going to think wrongly of you. They're going to be thinking you're, you're a crazy, angry God who just took his people out just to kill them. And so he's interceding for them. He's, saying, he's appealing to God's heart. So Moses intercedes for them. And the good news is the punishment that they were about to receive, if, if you remember in verse 10, it's, it's kind of, I read this in there. I think it's there. If it's not, you can tell me about it later. But, but God says, Moses, go down for your people have turned away quickly. And he's like, and leave me alone. Because if I go down there, I'm going to destroy them. You ever been so angry with somebody arguing, you just had to take a time out? If I don't get out of here, if I don't leave the room, I'm going to say something or do something that I'm going to regret. So I'm going to take a break. Now, I don't know if I'm projecting that in there, if that's really exactly what's happening, but I see that. Where God says, don't even talk to me right now, Moses. I'm angry. I've done so much for these people. I've shown them my faithfulness over and over and over, and look at them. They have fashioned something from their own hands, from the gifts that I gave them, and they are lifting it up and praising this stupid idol that did nothing, and they're giving credit to to, to this idol. So Moses intercedes for them. He's like, you're right. They deserve to die. They're stupid. But Lord, more than what they deserve, what's going to bring you the most glory? Is it going to glorify you to smite them down? Or is it going to glorify you to show them mercy? And so Moses intercedes for them, and and mercy is shown to them, and and their punishment is reduced. Instead of God killing them all, justice is administered, and we're going to see that in just a second. But even in justice being administered, God shows mercy to them. So Moses carries out justice. We'll see this in the verses uh, later on, where it, chapter 32, verses 25 and following, it reads this. So when Moses saw that the people had, had broken loose, they'd, they're just going crazy. For Aaron had let them uh, break loose and, uh, to the derision of their enemies. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, All right, guys, you've got to choose who's on the Lord's side. Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And once they gathered around him, he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. We read that and we think, wow, that doesn't sound very merciful. They died. Well, the truth is, a lot more than 3,000 deserve to die. They all deserved it. These are tough things to wrestle with. It it looks like God's this angry God. Uh, And truth be told, He is angry. We live in a world today where we like to celebrate the fact that you just need to find the inner divinity within you and the good person within you. But that is counter, that is opposite of what God tells us. God tells us that inside we're broken, that we're twisted, that, that something just can't be fixed 
on our own. We don't need to tap into ourselves and find that inner divinity. What we need is divinity to come and to find us and to seek us out and to breathe life into us, new life, eternal life, life that is lasting forever. And that's what the gospel tells us. These people chose to fashion for themselves an idol, a false god, and there were consequences for that. And here's something that we can all judge or or we can take away from this part before we move to the next one. We all have the freedom to choose our idols, but we do not have the freedom to choose our consequences. We all have the freedom to choose what it is that we worship. We have the freedom to choose how we're going to live our life, but we do not have the freedom to choose the consequences for those choices. Justice was administered by Moses through the order of God. Now let's look at number three. We see what's happened here in Exodus, but let's try to take it from then and let's do something with it now. What does it mean for us? Number three is this. Jesus is the faithfulness of God. Amen? Jesus is the faithfulness. Moses remembered it, or Israel forgot it. Moses remembered it, and then Jesus came up and said, I'm actually better than Moses. I'm going to be the faithfulness of God. So Jesus is the faithfulness of God and intercedes on behalf of the people. So Jesus remembers our weaknesses, and he becomes our faithfulness. He realizes that there's something really broken about our, uh, our plight, our, our, our path, that we just can't fix ourselves. And so he becomes the faithfulness of God for us. And he never wavers from his mission. He never wavers from his purpose. He stays focused. He stays on track to do what only the Son of God can do. And so he does this, and he stays on track becoming the faithfulness of God, and then he uses that faithfulness of God to intercede for us, to take all of his faithfulness, and then to come in like Moses did and say, remember God, remember God, remember God. And so he comes in and he intercedes for us. But unlike Moses, check this out, Moses interceded for the people of God, or, yeah, the people of God in Israel, and he said, God, remember, remember, you know, don't kill them all. Don't kill, I know you can start fresh and we can do this all over again. But he intercedes for them, and instead of all of them dying, what does he do? He administers justice, and about 3,000 men die. So the punishment that was due to them was reduced. But Jesus comes in, and instead of like Moses, where the punishment gets reduced, Jesus comes in, and he says, your punishment is removed. You see the difference? Jesus is amazing, isn't he? Like, thank God for Moses that that he interceded and he saved so many people, but Jesus intercedes and he saves all of us. And he doesn't just save some of us, but all of us. The the punishment is not just reduced, but it is removed from us. And not only that, we become children of God and, and blessed and holy and chosen and righteous. Aaron, if we remember the story here, Aaron was, uh, uh, was a, like a post-Adam. So if you remember Adam from the book of Genesis, Aaron is, uh, is mirroring him. And so if you remember the, the story of Adam and Eve, Eve had the fruit. She comes to Adam and is like, hey, why don't you eat this with me? And so he eats with her. 
They sin. They hide from God. God comes to Adam, and he says, hey, where are you? Adam's like, we were hiding because we're naked. He's like, who told you you're naked? He's like, well, all right, listen. The woman that you created for me, she like came to me with this apple or a fruit. I don't know if it was what else. She came to me with this fruit. I didn't want to eat it because you told me not to. But I did. And so, but it's kind of your fault if you think about it because I wouldn't have ever done this if it weren't for her. So he plays the blame game, right? Well, who did that too in this story? Aaron. Moses comes back and Aaron says, Moses, you know these people are sick. They do twisted stuff all the time. What am I supposed to do, stand up to all of them? So he, he blames someone else. He adopts the idea uh, that he makes an idol. For, uh, he adopts their idea and he makes an idol for them and it, it imitates what, uh, what Adam did. So it was the, the fall. And so Moses, we see in this story, is like the pre-Jesus, not the post-Adam, but the pre-Jesus. He's, he's pointing to him. So we see Moses interceding on behalf of God's people. Well, we see that in Jesus, don't we? Jesus intercedes on behalf of you and me. Moses turned the heart of God from anger to grace. God, don't wipe them out. Don't destroy them. Glorify yourself by showing them mercy. We see Jesus doing the same way. God, don't kill them. I give myself to you. I will take their sin for them. We see Moses was promised by God. Moses, I'm going to make a great nation for you. And we see the same thing for Jesus. Jesus' great nation is his church, his people. Countless people that are more than the stars of the sky. Moses interceded and the people's punishment was reduced and as I said earlier, Jesus interceded and the punishment is removed and we're transformed into righteous, accepted children of God. Instead of being plagued by the consequence of sin, we are immersed in the grace and the peace of God in more measure than we can even use. Thank you, Jesus. And it gets better. Point number four, if we look at that. This is where Christianity is unique. This is where Christianity distinguishes itself from any other religion. Say, any other. None other one does this. This is the point where we're unique. Number four says, Jesus allowed the justice of God to be carried out on his body. Moses came down and he administered justice. God said, go and do these things. Have them draw the line. And from when they draw the line, go and administer justice. Jesus did something very different. Our faith isn't about becoming faithful enough in order to please God and be forgiven, but it's about the fact that the Son of God came and took our sin upon him, took our shame on him, and then died for us. Jesus allowed the justice of God to be carried out on his body. Other religions are shocked and offended at the thought of God becoming our sin. No. God is holy. He is high. He is exalted. He is glorified. He is perfect. He can't become our sin. It's so offensive that that is the heresy, the false teaching that they accused Jesus of having that got him crucified. He said, and several times throughout, 
that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one came to the Father except through him. He claimed that when he said that they said, uh, he said, he answered them, I am, it was a reference to God being the I am. He, he was boldly proclaiming that I am the Son of God. And so God is high and exalted. He is worthy of worship. But this Jesus, the Son of God, chose not to come and administer justice on us, but he allowed the fullness, the fullness, the entirety of God's wrath to be poured out on him so that we could be forgiven. And this was a costly price to pay. So costly that Jesus spent hours praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to prepare him for the cross. Look with me in Matthew chapter 26. I think all the Gospels have this account, but I chose Matthew because it shows something that the other ones don't. Then Jesus, this is before his crucif- the night of his crucifixion, the night of his betrayal. Judas is about to betray him. He's going, having his quiet time in the garden, uh, which, excuse me, he was praying out loud. He wasn't having a quiet time. He was praying in the garden. And then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And t- taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to, the death, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now the cup is referring to the wrath of God that's about to be the justice of God being, ministered, being poured out on Jesus. And he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, we can read that and kind of go through it pretty quickly, right? Took me 30 seconds to read through that, and I read through it kind of slow. And then it says, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And if we're not careful, we'll we'll tend to think that, Peter, John, I'm going to go over here and pray for a while. You guys stay awake. Father, if this cup can pass from me, please let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but you'll be done. And then he goes back over. But it wasn't something quick like that. We see in this next verse it says, and, his, he, and when he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, so could you not watch with, with me one hour? So he was gone for an hour. When's the last time you prayed for an hour without falling asleep? I hope it was recently, but me, I, I can't tell you the last time. Like praying for an hour. I'm not talking about like worshiping and singing and being part of a worship experience. I'm talking about being in the garden. The only thing I hear is crickets and my friends praying out loud and I'm praying for an hour. I was tempted to kind of make fun of this and even with the Israelites but I re- and Aaron, and I, and I, but I had a thought, you know, one day I'm going to be with them And I, I've already said enough to make light of it. So I'm going to take a different approach for the rest of my life. Peter, I understand why you fell asleep. It was a long night. 
And he said to Peter, so you cannot stay with me one hour? And then he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus says this. He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think most of us would agree that we understand what that is saying. Sometimes I really want to do, I really want to pray for an hour, Lord, but my flesh is tired. My flesh is weak, and I'm not able to do it. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to pray a lot because if you're not praying a lot, if you're not prayed up, you're going to fall to temptation, you're going to sin, you're going to become corrupt like the people of Israel did. You've got to stay connected with God through prayer. You've got to pray like your life depends on it because hashtag it does. It does depend on it. And we forget that. We become too independent. We are so dependent on God and we need to pray knowing that we are dependent on Him. So that's the first time. And it says again, verse uh, uh, 42, again, for the second time, Jesus went away and He prayed what? My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, phrased it a little differently, I mean, if I'm the only one that can do this, I guess your will be done. If it really is true that I'm the only one who can do this, Father, I pray your will be done. And again, he came back and he found them what? Sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Now when I see Jesus praying in here, I don't see him standing up in his sport coat, dignified. I see him down, kneeling, in the garden, alone, on his face. And he's crying, and he's saying, Father, if there is any other way, please show me that way. Nevertheless, if this is your will, may your will be done. Fifteen seconds, I knelt and prayed. Jesus did that for an hour. Don't ever forget the faithfulness of God. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. He said, God, I love them so much, but you see how messed up they are. You see what they do without me. And they're going to go to hell if I don't do something because the only way that they can be forgiven and right is for me to do this. And you've confirmed it over and over and over again. So, Father, here I am. When you feel like giving up, you look to the faithfulness of God. You look and you see Jesus kneeling in the garden praying for you. When you feel like the road is too hard before you, that life is too difficult and and you just don't know if you can keep going, yes, you can. You remember the faithfulness of God as he knelt knowing the road that was before him was harder than you and I will ever have to deal with. Amen? Because of what he did, we don't have to face the wrath of God. When you're tired of waiting and you feel like just the answer isn't coming quick enough, remember the faithfulness of God. When you feel like 
you know what you have to do. You know what God is telling you to do, but you don't want to do it because it's too hard. Remember the faithfulness of God. When your friend disappoints you and you feel like giving up on them, remember the faithfulness of God. When your child continues to disobey you over and over, remember the faithfulness of God. When your spouse disappoints you and don't live up to the expectation or the hope that you have, remember the faithfulness of God. When you feel like you have sinned too much and God is sick of you, stop it and remember the faithfulness of God. When you feel like you've finally gotten to the place where you have it all together and you're tempted to not pray because things are going really well, stop quickly. And remember, the only, th- only reason things are going well for you is because of the faithfulness of God. And worship Him and thank Him for the victory that He's given to you. So the homework that I have for you is this. Go back to number one and just really ask yourself and ask people that are close to you. It's like, hey, what do you see in my life? What do you see in my life where I'm misdirected, where I'm compromising? Speak into my life. And you can ask that question and you can invite honest answers for one reason. Because your standing with God, your standing in this church, your acceptance with one another in here is not built upon your faithfulness. It stands upon the faithfulness of God. As the worship team comes forward, we're about to sing a song of response, and tonight I pray that that you will remember the the faithfulness of God in your life and and ask yourself, what are the signs that I'm forgetting God in my life, And, and what am I waiting for? And while I'm waiting for God to do things in my life, what is it that I need to be doing? How should I be worshiping Him while I wait? And And how can I follow the heart of God instead of following my own heart? The heart that will lead me away from God. How do I follow his heart? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for uh, the faithfulness of God. And I know that as as we respond to to your word tonight, I know that, that you are moving in this place. I I see your people tonight responding to you, to the good news that that you are the faithfulness that we crave, that that you are the one who didn't give up on us. You are the one who, who pushed through the darkness so that we could have a resurrected life. God, you are the one that we have been waiting for all of our lives. And Lord, tonight I pray that we would worship you remember you and to again affirm over and over that our lives are blessed. Our lives are truly lived when we are remembering your faithfulness. Jesus, we bless your name and as we prepare to respond in prayer and communion, we lift you up as our God, our King, our Savior, and our Redeemer. And it's in your holy name I pray.